I tell you what, it was, it was neat because I don't get to sit out there often. But it was just neat to just get to hear you guys sing and lift your voices and worship and praise this morning. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that as well. That, that blessed me. So uh, thank you. This morning, uh, we're going to go back to a passage that uh, Pastor Joey tucked on last week during uh, his sermon. And uh, we're going to go to Matthew uh, chapter 2. And we're going to look at the story of the wise men uh, uh, this morning. And I want to take it, though, from a little bit different, a little, little different direction than, than what we went with it uh, last week. And as you're turning uh, there in your Bibles to Matthew 2, uh, there are a lot of things that, that we don't know about these wise men. Uh, there are a lot of things that Scripture uh, doesn't tell us. You know, we're, we're not certain that there were three uh, wise men. Uh, there could have been three. There could have been more than three. Uh, we're, we're not sure. Scripture doesn't give us that. Uh, we don't know what country uh, these wise men came from. Scripture tells us only that they came from the east. And most commentators that, that you read, they, they agree that they came from uh, Babylon, which today uh, would be considered modern-day Iraq. And there's, so there's a lot uh, that we don't know. Um, uh, we're, we're, we're also uh, told that um, uh, when the wise men came, they came to a house. Oftentimes in Chris, Christmas cards, uh, you see the shepherds and the wise men together at the stable. Scripture doesn't, scripture doesn't tell us that. It tells us that they came to a house, and, and we'll see that in just a moment. But there's a lot that we don't know about these wise men. But we do know this, that they knew how to worship. And we want to learn uh, from uh, the wise men this morning what it means to have the heart of a worshiper. Um, I want us to see in this passage that worship is a major theme in this passage. It's mentioned three times uh, in, in this text uh, and it's what the wise men, it's what they intended to do when they came to see the Christ child. And as a matter of fact, it's, it's what they did when they, when they showed up. So if you're there in your Bibles with me in, in Matthew chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. And in honor and reverence to the word of God, I'd like to ask you to stand as we read at this time. The Bible says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose and have come to, here it is, the first time, worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And they sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I too may, here it is, come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, 
The star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and here he is one final time. They fell down and they worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another route. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your word this morning. We're grateful, Lord, that, uh, Lord, your word is alive, that it is living. And this morning, I pray, God, that you would teach us, Lord, what it truly means to have the heart of a worshiper, what it truly means to worship you. Lord, speak to us now. Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to encounter you uh, this morning. Lord, may we not leave the same way that we came. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So before we can look at what the heart of a worshiper looks like from this passage, I think we need to first go back and, and define well, what is worship? What, in fact, is worship? Because I, I, I believe that the, ch- the uh, church the, the, today is confused about what worship is. For what some people uh, think is worship, other people uh, do not uh, think is worship. What some may think is uh, wor- uh, worship, others may, may not think is uh, or may think is, is, is too exciting. And then, then we get into the stylistic preferences. Well, should we play the contemporary style? Should we play traditional? Uh, um, what, what style of music should uh, we, we play? And, and let me say this first right out the outset. I am very thankful for the diversity that we have here at Mount Pleasant. Amen. I'm very thankful that uh, we do sing the traditional hymns of our faith because these hymns, uh, are, they, they give us great uh, depth. We see great theological depth in, in these hymns. So I believe we need to sing the hymns. I believe we need to sing the uh, contemporary songs as well. For, for the Bible says uh, to sing a new song unto the Lord. And so I'm grateful here at Mount Pleasant that we do do both. And I believe that there's merit uh, for, doing, for doing both. We need to sing both. But the point I'm trying to make is we all have our own presuppositions of what worship should look like. But I'm convinced this morning that we need to, as that song by uh, Matt Redman says, we need to come back to the heart of worship. And we need to realize that a lot of the things that we major on, a lot of the issues that we major on in worship, they're not even addressed in Scripture. So let's look at some definitions of what is, what is worship. Warren Wiersbe says this, worship is the believer's response to all they are, mind, emotions, will, body, to, to what God is, says, and does. David Peterson, in his book, uh, Engaging with God, building a theology of worship says this, worship of the living and true God is essentially an engagement with him on the terms that he proposes and in the way that he alone makes possible. 
John Piper says this, strong affections for God, rooted and, and shaped by the truths of Scripture, this is the bone and marrow, marrow of biblical worship. So I, I like to define uh, worship this way. Worship is responding to God for who he is and for what he's done. You see, God is looking for people who have the heart of a worshiper, and he's looking for people who will worship him. John 4, 23 says this, but the hour is coming and is now here, so that means we are in this time, we're in this hour, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So when we see this phrase, spirit and in truth, what does this phrase mean? Well, basically, spirit means with our entire being, with our inner being, with all that we are, with everything that we have, we're going to worship him. And in and, and this aspect of truth means that, you know, we don't just make up uh, the rules as to how we're going to worship God. Uh, we, as David Peterson said, uh, we worship him on his terms according to the truths of Scripture. God is looking for people who will passionately worship him, but also people that will worship him according to the truths of his word. You know, what does the Bible say about how it is that I'm to worship the Lord? God is looking for people who are going to worship him. And in this passage, in Matthew 2, we're going to look at this morning six qualities or six characteristics of the heart of a worshiper. And we're going to look at this story from the, uh, from the Magi. First of all, the heart of a worshiper arrives with expectancy. Arrives with expectancy. And I take this from Matthew 2, uh, verses 1 and 2. And we go back and look at it, it says this. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. You see, they came with a sense of expectation that, that they were going to see Jesus, that they were going to come in contact with him. They showed up for one purpose, and that purpose was to see Jesus. They wanted to experience him. We're not told that they showed up in Jerusalem for anything else, but they showed up to see Jesus. They showed up expecting him. You know, and, and I can imagine um, my mind goes back to the journey that the wise men uh, went on. And, and, and Pastor hit this uh, last week, but I just want to touch on it here as well, that, that it was a long journey. It was a long journey. I, I imagine this journey was very inconvenient for them. Because they, they didn't have cars, they didn't have airplanes. It was called, you know, they got on the back of the, of the camel and they, and they went. And they traveled many, many hundreds of miles to reach the Christ child, to reach the king, the Messiah. And so the heart of a worshiper is someone who, regardless of the inconvenience, regardless of what they may be going through in their lives, whatever it is, they want to experience Jesus. They're expecting, they're expecting to see him. They're expecting 
to see him. They show up with that sense of expectancy. If I, if I could be honest with you, as, as your worship pastor this morning, there are times even when I, you may not believe this, but when I come up and, and I don't have that sense of expectancy. So what about us this morning? What about you and I? When we show up to worship uh, corporately, and, and please understand this morning that I'm talking about the corporate worship, but it can also go out to uh, our everyday lives because all of our lives are, are supposed to be uh, lived out as lifestyles of, of worship. But right now I'm talking about the corporate worship. Do we show up with that sense of expectancy, saying, Lord, what, I want to experience you this morning. I want to encounter your presence. I'm looking for you to do something in my life. Uh, I, I, I know, Lord, that and I'm trusting that you're going to show up this morning and that you're going to save someone. I'll get to be a part of that. I'll get to see that. Or you're going to uh, bring someone uh, back to you this morning, Lord. You're gonna, uh, we're going to see someone, Lord, be baptized, and we're going to see that testimony of them going down in the water, water uh, buried in sin, but rose, r- rising again in new life. We're going to get to experience that. Or he's going to teach me from the truths of scripture, something that I can apply to my life. I'm going to sing a song, and, and I'll know that when I'm singing, his presence is right there with me. Or I might be going through something, and I see another brother or sister who is worshiping him, and it encourages me to worship him as well. See, we ought to show up with a sense of expectancy, asking, what is God going to do today? I want to experience him. I'm looking for him. Expect to see him. Imagine what it would be like if we showed up having prepared our hearts for worship. And we showed up with the expectation that, you know what, God is going to show up. We can't wait to see what he does. And I'm so thankful that our, our pastor always, each, each week he prays, he, he prays that we would experience uh, God in a real way in in this place and that we would have this sense of expectation he encourages us as pastors and he encourages us as a staff to pray that each week uh, over our times of worship see the heart of a worshiper shows up with expectancy number two the heart of a worshiper exactly understands scripture what do i mean by that you see, they were, they were directed, the wise men, they were directed by Scripture. They knew the Word of God. They understood the truths of Scripture. And, you know, they, they would have shown up to see this Messiah because they understood what the Word of God said. They were familiar with prophecies uh, in Scripture like uh, Numbers twenty four seventeen, which says this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. See, they were familiar with prophecies like that. And in the book of Daniel, we even see in Daniel that Daniel was over the wise men of that country in that day. 
And so maybe Daniel would have been able to uh, speak the truths of Scripture to these wise men. And maybe it was some of these wise men out of the group that Daniel was over that many years later they would have made this journey to Jerusalem in search of the Messiah. See, the point I'm trying to make this morning is that they understood Scripture. And they understood that there's a right way, there's a wrong way to worship God. And in order to worship Jesus, we have to get into his word. We have to learn what his word says about how we're to worship him. I'm reminded of also the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. This church, I believe, is characteristic of of a lot of churches uh, in our land today. A lot of churches who who are apathetic. And in starting in verse 15 of Revelation 3, we see this. Jesus is speaking and he says, I know your works, for you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And literally the word spit means vomit. So basically, Jesus is saying that, hey, you make me sick. Because you are... lukewarm you are i would that you were either hot because if you were hot you'd be on fire for me but you if you were cold then you're not for me at all but you are lukewarm you're apathetic towards me and i believe this the church at laodicea would have done well to ask the question what does the bible say about how we're to worship jesus see we must be a people of the word so that we can find out how he desires to be worshipped. When we are told about worshiping scripture, see, we're not told about what songs to sing. We're not told about how we're to dress, but we're, uh, uh, we are told about worshiping him passionately and spirit with our entire being, with all that we are, and according to his word in truth. So number three, The heart of a worshiper overflows with an excitement when they come to worship the Lord. And I take this from Matthew 2, verses 9 and 10. It says this, After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, here it is, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. If you can imagine the wise men as they're making their journey to see the Messiah. Men, as they're journeying these hundreds and hundreds of miles, and it's taken them this, this long time, but yet they know that they're about ready to see this Messiah that has been prophesied. Men, their hearts, you can imagine, are filled with excitement, filled with joy, because you know what? They're about ready to see the Messiah. And I'm convinced that we, if we have the heart of a worshiper, it's going to produce this excitement. It's going to produce this joy in our lives. <clears throat> Psalms 100, 1 and 2 says this. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. And I, I, the, I believe the joy that we have when we show up to worship is going to be one thing I believe uh, that when we're worshiping Jesus, 
I think it's one major thing that, that draws a lost world to Jesus. Now let's look at some quotes about this aspect of the joy that we have in worship. Warren Wiersbe again says this, True biblical worship so satisfies our total personality that we don't have to shop around for man-made substitutes. Man, that's good, isn't it? True biblical worship satisfies. It so satisfies that we don't have to look for man-made substitutes. And I believe those man-made substitutes are, are, are the thing that so easily entangles us. A.W. Tozer said this. Tozer said this. Said, uh, to, to feel worship is to feel in your heart and express in some appropriate manner a humbling but delightful sense of admiring awe and astonished wonder and overpowering love in the presence of our Father which art in heaven. So what, what is he saying here? He's basically saying that not only are we to have this joy in our hearts, this excitement in our hearts, but we're also to express it, express it in worship. That we're not supposed to come in here, you know, looking like we just sucked on a lemon, Right? <laughs> You know, we're, we're supposed to be excited about worship. Let me uh, get you to imagine with me a sports, uh, a sports illustration. So imagine, and I'm not, not a sports fan, but I, <laughs> you know, but I, uh, I, I do follow Liberty. And so uh, imagine with me that, man, you're at, a, you're at a basketball game, and you just saw this dude make this epic, epic shot from, from, from far back. Or, or you're, you're at a baseball game and, and you saw uh, one of the players make a grand slam. But get this, you're not supposed to say anything. You're just supposed to sit on your hands and do nothing. Man, you're not going to be able to do that, right? You, you, you want to be excited. You want to be clapping your hands. Woo, woo, you know, you want to get excited. You want to be excited. And see, that's how we are to, how, that's how we're supposed to be in, in worship. You know, we can do that in sports arenas, but we don't do that when we come to the house of the Lord and worship. We get to worship uh, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We ought to be excited about it. Number four, the heart of a worshiper is exempt. Of pride. You know, uh, what, 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 do I, what do I mean here? We see this picture of humility in this passage. And I, and I take this from the first part of verse 11. <clears throat> and it says this, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. They fell down, here it is, and they worshipped him. So it's this idea of humility. In other words, they didn't just come before him, you know, busking into his presence. We don't just come into his presence with our wants and desires, but we come into his presence humbly. And there are all times, kinds of examples in Scripture of this idea of humility. Obviously, we know the passage in Philippians 2. We studied it in the, the series that Pastor did in Philippians where Jesus, he's the ultimate example of humility. When he humbled himself, the Scripture says, he became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. But I want to take us quickly to another familiar passage. And I know you know this passage well, but it's in Isaiah 6. 
So if you have your Bibles, uh, stay there in Matthew 2, but flip over to Isaiah 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 7 just for, just, for, <clears throat> just for a minute. It says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the earth shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, or I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. Lips, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atone for. So what do, what do we see in this passage? We see this picture of humility that we see Isaiah as he's in the temple. He has this vision. He has this encounter with the Lord. And when we truly encounter the Lord, we see ourselves for who we truly are. We see ourselves as singers. We are, we are singers. We see this in verses 3 through 6. And then we see our sing for what it truly is. That it's an offense to a holy God. Our sin is offensive to God. But then in verse 7, we see this picture of salvation where we then cry out to him in repentance and we ask for forgiveness of our sins. We see a picture of that in, in that verse. See, we see in this passage a picture of someone come, coming humbly before the Lord in worship. And I, and I know that there are times in worship when we're going to be excited, but then there are times in worship when we're going to know his presence is here and we're going to come to him, we're going to confess our sins to him, we're going to get things right before him as we come humbly before him. And you know, that's not always easy to do. But we see this picture of humility in Isaiah 6, and I believe we also see it in our text in Matthew 2. The wise men, they came humbly before the Lord, and they were exempt of their pride as they bowed down low before the King of kings and Lord of lords as they worshiped the king. <clears throat> Quickly, I, I know I have to move along, but number five, the heart of a worshiper is one. That exceedingly gives unto the Lord. Exceedingly gives unto the Lord. Now I see this in Matthew 2, verse 11 again. I'm going read, to read that verse again. And going into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You see, the wise men, they didn't just come to the, to the house where the child was. They didn't come to Mary and Joseph and say, oh, we, we, we only have time to stay for a few minutes. We had to get back. You know, we, we have other things that we have to do. We've made this long journey. It's a long journey back. No, they realized this morning, church, that part of their worship was that we have to give him something. And they gave these gifts. 
of gold and frankincense and myrrh. I want to look at these gifts very quickly for, for just a minute. Gold. Gold was a gift of wealth that would have been presented to a king because commentators say that it was the most precious metal of that day. And it symbolized royalty. So the Magi, they recognized this. This wasn't an ordinary baby. They, they had heard the prophecies. They had heard the Messianic prophecies. They knew this wasn't an ordinary baby that was born in a manger. But this was the Messiah. Amen. And then secondly, we see frankincense were given. This was a gift of worship, and it was used to worship the, the king. And we see this also in the Gospel of John when, when, when Mary and Martha are there. And we, we remember that Martha is busy serving, but all Mary wants to do is sit at the feet of Jesus and pour uh, that expensive perfume over his feet. And we, we see this there. We see this here as well. And then number three, myrrh. And this gift represents the death, the sacrificial death of Christ. You know, I read this week that this gift and, and that day it was used to embalm the dead. And you, you may be thinking, why in the world do they want to uh, give myrrh? You know, why do, why do wise men want to give myrrh to embalm the dead? But I believe this, the wise men brought this gift because they recognized that this baby ultimately was born to die. He was born to pay that sin debt for you and for me. So that, that, that uh, a sin debt that I couldn't pay. So that I could be in right relationship with a holy God. You see, church, he has blessed us with so much. He's blessed us with a church to worship him in. He's given us a church to worship him in. He's given us family. You know, we, we got to celebrate with family over the Christmas uh, holidays. He's giving us a breath and our lungs, but also ultimately, he is, he's giving us his son. And so he's giving so much for me. He's giving his best for me, and that he gave his son that church I ought to be willing to give him something. There's a there's an old hymn, and the lyrics to that hymn say this: What can I give him? Poor as I am. If I were a shepherd, I would bring him a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet, what can I give him? I will give him my heart. You know, beloved, that's ultimately what he's looking for from us anyway, isn't it, this morning? You see, true worship is so much more than the songs that we sing here on a given Sunday morning. It's so much more than what we do in this building. True worship, if you want to boil it down to one word, is this. It's surrender. It's about us, as, as Paul admonishes us in Romans 12, to offer our bodies as living sacrifice to a God who ultimately is giving us everything. And it's about living every day, every moment of our lives as a lifestyle of worship before him. Amen. Worship is about surrender. And I have a video now that I'd like to show us that I think illustrates this well. Watch this video.
See, worship is about surrender. Worship isn't about what I get out of worship because so often I believe in our churches today we come in and we think I'm supposed to get something out of worship. That, I'm, that if I don't like the songs that were sung, then you know what? We haven't truly worshipped today. Then I, if, I got, if I don't like the songs that were sung, I didn't get anything out of worship. If, if the pastor stepped in my toes, you know, I didn't get anything out of worship. But church, worship isn't about what we get out of it. Worship is about what we give to the Lord. What I give to him in worship. And as a matter of fact, the heart of a worshiper, it craves to give something to the Lord and worship. It craves to give the Lord our everything. Finally, number six. Not only all these, all, all these things, but number six, when the heart of a worshiper encounters the Lord, they are forever changed. Now, I'm, I don't see this in this text. I have to infer this uh, in, in, into this text. We see in verse 12 that they went another route on their way back to their country. But, but, but you know, um, we, you have to believe that with, when, when they, they've gone on this journey, this long journey to see the, the, white, the Christ child, and they've, they've come finally into his presence. They see the Messiah after having known the Messianic prophecies. Uh, and they see the Messiah. You have to believe that they were forever changed. Isaiah, in, in, in that passage that we looked at, um, he, he, you have to believe he was forever changed for he says, um, he responds and he says, Lord, who, here am I. Lord, sing me. When the Lord says, who will go for, 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 for me? Here am I. Sing me. You have to believe that he was forever changed. And I'm truly, I'm convinced this morning that if we truly had the heart of a worshiper, that when we come into his presence, if, if we truly had that heart, we're going to be forever changed. You know, I wonder this morning what it would be like if each Sunday that we gathered to worship, if we would come with a sense of expectancy, having prepared our hearts for worship, and we, we come to worship saying, no matter what, Lord, no matter what's going on during the week, I want to encounter you this morning. I want to experience you. And I'm expecting to see you. I, I, I wonder if God's people, when we come to worship, would not come with our own preconceived notions about what worship is or what worship isn't. I wonder what would happen if we didn't major on issues in worship that really don't matter. I wonder what would happen if we came to worship understanding the truths of Scripture, that there's a right way and there's a wrong way to worship, and how we're to worship according to His Word. I wonder what would happen if we came to worship with a sense of excitement and we worshiped Him passionately with our entire being. I wonder what would happen if we came to worship with this attitude of humility and we bow before our King humbly and worship. I wonder what would happen if we came with a sincere desire to exceedingly give unto the Lord, not just in our time, not just in our gifts and our talents and our treasures, but what if we truly gave ourselves and surrendered to him 
as an offering of worship. And if we applied these principles, not just in, again, not just in our corporate worship, not just in our corporate times of worship, but if we apply these principles as we worship him each day with our daily lives, I have no doubt that if we, we apply these principles, we come to the house of the Lord in worship, we're, uh, we're going to be forever changed. We're not going to leave the same way we came. I want to put that definition back on the screen of War, from Warren Wiersbe about worship. I want us to see that uh, one last time. Worship is the believer's response to all they are, mind, soul, uh, emotions, will, body, to what God is, what he says, and what he does. See, worship is a response. It is responding to God for who he is, what he's done. We encounter him. It demands a response. Worship demands a response. And so I have one thing. One thing I want us to do this morning uh, for the things to do. One thing. And that is to respond to him in worship. You know, I don't, what that, I don't know what that looks like for you this morning. Maybe for you, maybe you've heard this message this morning, but you've never truly trusted Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And so, therefore, you can't truly worship him because you don't know him. And for you, maybe that's the response that you need to give him in worship this morning, is you need to come to know him as your personal Lord and Savior. And let me say this to you, friend. Know that he loves you, that he sent his son to die for you so that you can have a relationship with him. And he wants to have that relationship with you, for you were made to worship him as we, were, as we sang a few minutes ago. You can have that relationship with him this morning. It begins with a step of faith. For the Bible says this, that we're all singers in need of a Savior, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We turn from our sins and we turn to Jesus in humble repentance and we embrace him, uh, believing that Jesus is who he said he is, that he's the Son of God, that he was born in a manger, that he was a sinless, perfect Son of God, he was born to die and for you and for me. And that he went to the cross, that he was buried, that he rose bodily on the third day. And, uh, we, then, and one day, he's coming again. And that's the gospel. And we profess him as Lord and Savior of our lives. See, it's a step of faith. And you can take that step of faith this morning. You can trust him as Lord and Savior. And that will be your response to him in worship. And then as you begin to live that lifestyle of worship, you begin to walk this faith journey out each and every day of your life as you continue to worship him with your life. And so maybe that response to him in worship for you is you saying, you know what, Pastor Brian, I want to come back to that heart of worship this morning. See, I've majored on so many things in worship that really don't matter and I want to come back to that true heart of worship this morning. I want to surrender. I want to yield my life to the Lord as a response to him in worship. Or maybe you, like the wise men, you want to come and just kneel before this altar humbly and worship before your king. Whatever that response to him looks like for you in worship this morning, I encourage you in just a minute as we have our invitation song 
to, to do whatever the Lord is leading you to do this morning. But as we, we respond to him, we want to respond to him in what he's doing in our lives. For God is looking for those who will truly worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for these truths, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would teach us all afresh once again from the wise men what it looks like to have the heart of a worshiper. Lord, would you now move during this time as we prepare to sing, as we, as we, uh, uh, as we have this time of invitation. God, would you speak to your people. Lord, we want to experience you this, this morning. Lord, have your will, have your way in this place as we respond to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Our band is going to come and lead us now. You come now as we sing the heart of worship.